following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing cognitive distortions, what they are, and how you can change these thinking patterns. Today, on Drinks and Drinks. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. I'm John Deku. And I'm Ingo Wagold. And today we're talking about something that I think is um, pretty important when it comes to helping ourselves. And a lot of self-help books talk about this. And we talk about it, I think, a good amount in our time, which is cognitive distortions. Um before we get into what those are and how we can manage them, how are you doing, Ingo? Uh, <laughs> Not so good. I, I'm thinking about how to carefully answer this question. I'm struggling this year, John, with getting into the holiday spirit. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure if it's like emotional fatigue from a, it's been a hard year. And I just every year, like, you know, I seem to have it kicks in for me at some point, and we're like one day away from Christmas Eve, and I'm still not feeling today is the 23rd, by the yes. way. So, the, when this comes out, it's probably maybe just after Christmas, yeah, between Christmas and New Year. And so, I'm just not feeling the whole spirit of things, you know. I don't know, so I'm trying really hard, but like I was telling you before the uh show, I'll probably just do what most Americans do and have a few drinks and eat too much, and I'll feel better. So <laughs> Drink the pain away. Yeah, yeah drink right. and eat the pain away. So how are you doing? That's what that's what the holidays are about. I'm doing okay. I got an injury this morning while exercising on my wrist, as I was telling you, too. And yeah. otherwise, I'm looking forward to, I took some time off, and I really don't like the the seasons and the lack of sunlight this time of year, but it's still nice to be able to see people and to do nice things for other people and yeah. see gratitude on their face. So. It's going to be busy, but then it'll also be slow. And I'm also seeing a Bulls game next week. So are you going to the United I'm Center? I'm going to a game. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Man, that, those tickets are crazy expensive. I got a good price. Did you? Yeah. So Do you, do you, have, do you know a guy? Uh, my wife. Oh. <laughs> she, she just does a really good job looking for the best prices. Oh, I so see. It's going to be a nice time off. Where know? are they playing? They're playing the Rockets. Oh. We, we're a bad team, but yeah. it's okay. So right. that's all. Otherwise, you have to pay a lot to get the more expensive team. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. I went... Uh, I think I went last year with uh, some friends and we sat up in the like 300 level and it was like a couple, like a hundred some dollars. And mm -hmm. just if, for reference point, 300 level is like, you need binoculars to like see, yeah. see the court. And, right. and I'm like, this is insanely expensive, but mm -hmm. they're not as good this year. It seems like, no, they're so not. prices should be coming down. Hopefully should be, but they're a big market and they have chances of being good. So it's kind of yeah. like, I, I, they haven't come down as much as I would hope, but Still looking forward to that and the time off and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe making some music or seeing friends or reading books or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Why don't we uh, jump into what are cognitive distortions? And if it's cool, can I share a little bit of history about it? Yes, please. So these are things that cognitive distortions are, they're really, um, how do we describe them? They're different ways of thinking that over time can be really unhelpful for our mental health. Everyone does cognitive 
distortions, including you and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were first kind of, I mean, they've been, um, arguments and reasoning have been used ever since like the Greek times. But Albert Ellis, who founded Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy uh, in the 1950s and early 60s, he started discussing different thinking patterns. Um, and then he and Aaron Beck, who founded Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in the 60s, they both started labeling more what are some of the patterns that occur with people. And what their initial theories were is that oftentimes the way we feel is a, as a result of what we're thinking. So if you perceive mm-hmm. someone as a threat, you are going to feel anxious. An example I like to think of, um, a quick aside, is if you and I were standing outside and a bear started running towards us, your interpretation of that would be, I'm going to die or I'm going to get hurt, understandably. Mm-hmm. And then if I didn't get anxious and I told you not to worry about it, you would say, what the hell, John? I'm still worried. I could, the reason being is because we haven't changed your belief about it, that you're going to get hurt. But if I told you to look carefully at the bear and you could see a seam around its neck and you could see glossy plastic-like fingers, you'd say, oh, well, it's actually just a suit, a man in a good... A, a convincing suit a really convincing bear suit yeah <laughs> and be one hell of a suit john <laughs> it would be but it, that would change your belief that you no longer feel like you're going to get hurt and then as a result you wouldn't feel as anxious and so part of our job <clears throat> as therapists is we need to work to try to identify what are the thinking patterns that are present with people mm-hmm. and how we can change them to help them to feel less anxious mm-hmm. depressed angry or otherwise is that is that job with you? Like yeah, that makes sense. And I agree that all people have cognitive distortions. And it's only when you get to a point of like, you know, as therapists, a lot of times we assess level, levels of functioning. And when it starts to impair your ability to function in life, that's, that's when these tend to become issues. And that's typically when we might see someone in our office who has these distortion and we work with them, you know, to kind of start to... I guess I look at it as like chipping away and trying to like almost like uh, uh, shine a mirror at that person and see and get them to see that what they're thinking is not actually rational. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Um, and then the hope is that they can start to change those patterns and they'll start to feel better. And yeah. this is why um, like this is the cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. How it's really important that we need to watch what our thinking patterns are too. Mm hmm. Um, I know that we have a we have a big list we need to get through. Um, I do want to cover at some point where these come from. Is that something you want to do now, or should we wait till the end? Or let's talk about it now. Okay. So, um, big question is is like why does this happen to someone, and where do we develop cognitive distortions? And um, research suggests that um, people typically develop these to to cope with adverse life events, and sometimes it's trauma, sometimes it's multiple things that happen to someone. Um, bullying bullying yes um or you like right now we're in the christmas season so if a person experiences two or three years of of their life you know something bad happens through christmas well christmas sucks like something bad always happens at christmas i hate christmas because and it it could have just been random three-year period where you know dog died parent died i don't know they lost their job all happened around christmas in in over three years but it doesn't mean that but then the distortion is is that christmas equals bad i always feel bad so 
it's adverse life events or they're i think people use these as a way of dealing with stress um and it's a, it's a way of like surviving in the moment but long term it causes like this impairment in functioning so well i think we all create what we call heuristics, which are just these mental shortcuts that we use, right? Yes. <clears throat> and the vast majority of times, we don't need to think about our heuristics like stopping at a red light. It's just something you do. You don't ever have to really question it. But if your heuristics are starting to like really affect you and make you anxious, like not liking Christmas mm -hmm. because you associate it with all these bad events, then it's part of it is our job to be like, mm, I'm not so sure about that and try to add some flexibility to their thinking. Right. And that's what I think, um, I, I don't know about you, but... The, when I was in grad school and I started learning about um, cognitive distortions, I found this is one of the most immediate things I was able to apply to myself in terms of helping my own mental health at different times, understanding like, and what things have I done that have been um, this cognitive distortion or that one and help me change the way I feel. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's, that was a big portion of it. I, I really connected a lot with uh, like empathy in general, you know, the basis of like being even empathy with yourself because mm -hmm. you didn't have any right you didn't have any empathy not for myself <laughs> I, th I think i think i i had it for others but it was difficult for me to have it for myself and it's it's interesting to think about it from that way because sometimes people come into our and they struggle with that too like they can see other people's pain but they can't process or feel okay about their own so and i think that was really transformative for me it's like mm. Well, the one I'm around you, it feels like you don't have any empathy for me. <laughs> Jeez. So is that what you had to learn? <laughs> I had to learn. I, I had to First learn empathy for yourself, then for, for me and others. Yes. I'm just playing. You're very kind. Um, <sighs> giving me shit on Christmas. See what I mean? This <laughs> Christmas always, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going to give you shit. Um, so before, well, let's go back to what you were saying about where they come from. I mm -hmm. think <clears throat> cognitive therapies, like cognitive behavioral therapy and rational emotive behavioral therapy, they historically don't like to ask the question, where does it come from? Because they don't really like to look at the past as much as they look at the present. Yeah. And they say, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. And I think, I actually find this to be kind of true, where sometimes I have clients come in and they'll say like, I need to know the root cause of why I did this. What was the quote unquote trauma? Or what were the things I went through? Uh -huh. What inevitably happens is they may or may not find it. It's pretty difficult. They still have to say, so what am I going to do about it? And that's why I think cognitive therapists will try to instead just say, let's just cut to the chase and be like, don't ask yourself where this comes from. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on how you manage it instead and what you're doing with it today. Okay. That makes I think sense. there's, I think there's value in looking back at it, but yeah. it can be a wild goose chase to try to find something you barely remember. Right. And how, what does that really do to affect? I mean, I, I think maybe it calms anxiety mm -hmm. in some sense. For sure. But I think, I like to do both. I feel like going back is putting it out at the base of the fire and addressing what's happening now is kind of from, you know, put like both ends. You can squeeze and, you know. So. I think it can feel good to understand our own story and yeah. to know like this is why I feel the way I do and then we have compassion for ourselves to be like, well, the reason I'm behaving this way is because these things happen to me. But I don't, personally, I don't find that it leads to like a lot of change. Like it doesn't mean that like, well, now that I know I'm doing that, it could be, I understand better why it's a problem and that I should change it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they know what to change or how to change it. Correct. Um, any other thoughts about like uh, where they come from? These these kinds of thought patterns. No, I mean I think generally we like we said it's it's a life stressor or you know adverse events in someone's life, um, or the amount of stress they're under 
mm-hmm. um, at certain points, and and those create, you know, the mind never rests, so mm-hmm. it's always trying to f- make order out of disorder, and you know, so that this is one of those things where these distortions create some sort of order for ourselves and everyone. Um, I think one area I really love working with people on because of this is looking at this, and I don't know if we've mentioned this on here, is this getting people to see that cognitive distortions, which may have worked when they were teenagers, now when they're in their forties, mm-hmm. I think we did talk about this on here. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily apply anymore. Right. So it's like you've created this distortion that worked when you were living at home with your parents, but now you're married with mm-hmm. family and you have a career. And that same distortion doesn't actually work anymore, and, and that's why you know we work on it. So yeah, I would say it wasn't even the distortion when they're younger. It's just the way that they get through life. Yeah, you know, like I can't trust this bully who lives next door. Right, right, and then that extrapolates to like, well, I can't trust all neighbors, or I can't trust yes people who live in the city or whatever it is. Yep. right. Yeah. So why don't we jump into the the list we have here, and we'll, we'll get started. So I think the biggest one. Uh, the one that I think applies to most. And by the way, in my opinion, I think a lot of these are kind of translations of the same message where they can be similar ideas, just kind of phrased differently. Yeah. But I think the most common one is all or nothing thinking, which is sometimes called black and white thinking. Yes. Um, do you want to describe that one? Um, yes. So all or nothing thinking, um, usually people will use words such as always, never, Every time, like, for example, like, um, when I work with, you know, people and they talk about their relationships, like, my spouse never, ever does anything nice for me, right? And then five minutes prior, they they described how last week their spouse took them out for a nice dinner for their birthday and planned this party and everything else, but because they got into a fight since then, now it becomes, so it's like all or nothing. So they're either all good or all bad. and mm-hmm. And... Um, that's difficult because it doesn't allow any room for like gray area, which is where most of life happens in the gray. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that creates that, um, people tend to box themselves in, in that point, they have nowhere to go. Like if someone is always bad, like that leaves them no room for being sometimes good, which is the truth, right? Right. Like all bad people are sometimes good and all good people are sometimes bad. Right. So, um, and I think that can be debilitating because it, I think that one in particular really adds to people's feeling of loneliness. Um, and that, that's, that's hard, you know, so, cause you're uh, kind of on an Island then if, mm-hmm. ev- if my spouse is always, always never doing anything nice for me, then that means, you know, what does that say about me? That kind of thing. So what are your thoughts on it? No, I agree. Yeah. A lot of times I think what helps here is to try to show the gray area in between the two extremes. Um, something some examples of this that somebody might feel like is that they need perfectionists i think really struggle with this yes. like i need to get an a on my test or i need to be the best employee um you don't need to you just really want to and it's not even good for you it's not like if you get an a you're great and if you get a b you're a failure it's that if you get an a that's great and a b is good too and a c is probably acceptable right mm-hmm. um so some ideas can be if i'm not perfect then i have failed or Either I do it right or not at all. One version that I once heard someone criticize is uh, former President George W. Bush. He said, starting the war on terror, he said, you're either with us or against us. Ooh. And that's dichotomous. And that's another way of phrasing this is dichotomous thinking, one of two ends. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you don't have to be either with or against someone. You could be neutral, you know? Right. Um, so that Not was, when it comes to war, John. 
You're either with us. You're either with us or you're or against, against us. us. Yeah, right. This is war, damn it. Yeah. So I think a, a big, I'd say the most common thinking error, aka cognitive distortion, is all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking. What's another one? Um, another one I think is closely related um, and super common is catastrophizing. Um, someone might come in, and this, this distortion kind of, um, I think of the word like dread or assuming the worst about any possible situation. Um, uh, like you expect, um, for example, to get something in, uh, in the mail from someone, right? And um, it doesn't come. And then you go, oh, you know, I'm never going to get that. Thing, or that person hates me, right? Or, or like if your boss, for example, doesn't, maybe they're having a hard day and they, they're not as friendly with you. Oh, I'm getting fired. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so getting, that's a really common one. Like mm -hmm. I must be getting fired. One of the worst examples, and um, one of my clients about a year ago um, had started a new job and she, she had been working there like six months on a contract. And one day she came in, she was one of the first people always in the morning and her like access card didn't work for it to get into the, the parking lot. So she parked outside and she walked in and then the car didn't work to get in the building. And then she tried to use her laptop and somehow IT, like, I don't know, the laptop was just like a brick. You couldn't use it. It said okay. like, you must be turned in. And she's like, oh my God, I got fired. You know, and uh, she called me and she was in distress saying like, I, I've been fired. Like, I don't know what to, you know, left this voicemail. And it comes to find out it was just somebody forgot to check a box somewhere to like <laughs> renew the whatever security thing that they do there. So she, nothing bad happened at all except someone didn't do their job. But in her mind, she was full of anxiety and dread and like, I'm losing my job and I'm never, you know, this is terrible. And she's, yeah. and really, that's a version of catastrophizing. Like you're yeah. putting negative things on a situation that may not be warranted. So I agree. Yeah. A version I hear a lot too is with people who really struggle with anxiety is they'll say things like, well, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And I'll say, well, why not? Well, if I did, I'd feel horrible. It'd be a catastrophe. I'd be like, hurting someone's feelings is like not desirable, but it's not a catastrophe, mm -hmm. right? In fact, I would even say part of having a relationship with someone is that you're going to eventually hurt their feelings or say something they don't want to hear. But it doesn't yeah. mean it's a catastrophe. And we, we put this huge label on it of like, if that happened, I would never be, be able to be okay <clears> with it. Or um, if they feel embarrassed, I'd never be able to be okay with that. Yeah. Or if I felt too anxious, I'd never be able to be okay with it. It's a catastrophe. I don't know how I'd get through it. We have to show like, no, no, you, you can get through it more than you think you can. Mm -hmm. I think this one in particular is very closely linked to people who are struggling with depression or anxiety. You know, a certain sense, like the hopelessness that people feel um, and the sense of like pending doom um, with depression, for example, they tend to catastrophize a lot of things in their life. Sure. Yeah. Or the anxious feelings of, you know, like maybe social anxiety. If I go to that party, everyone's going to laugh at me, right? And it's like you're saying the worst is going to happen. If I if I go do this thing that I'm afraid of, you know, yeah. the world is going to end. Well, the worst is going to happen and I can't handle it. Right. It's not like they're cutting off your arm. It's that somebody may laugh at you. Is that like, will you actually die? Will you not be able to handle it? Yeah. Be uncomfortable, but we do uncomfortable things all the time. We do. Like this podcast. Yeah. This <laughs> is just kidding. Yeah. Um, um, let's do, how about jumping to conclusions? I have two parts under that. It's kind of similar to catastrophizing here. And the types of jumping to conclusions are mind reading, okay, which is imagining 
we know what others are thinking, or fortune telling, which is predicting the future. So mind reading might be if we say, uh, we, like you said, with social anxiety, you go to a store, and I remember I had a client who um, their family had a lot of medical issues, and so they had a lot of allergies, and they had to pick up everything that they were going to buy and look at the ingredients. And they said, everybody's judging me. Everybody's looking at me. I'm like, well, how do you know? I was like, it just feels like it. I can kind of tell that. The, mm-hmm. I saw that person look at me over there when they walked by. I was like, ah. how do you know that? Or were they just looking at you because you're a human being? And how do you know that they're thinking negatively about you and not that yeah. they like the color sweater that you wore that day or whatever it might mm-hmm. be? Um, and fortune telling is when we think that we can predict the future of like, like you said earlier, I know I'm going to get fired or I know this is going to be a bad thing or I have this... Um, I have to do this thing that makes me uncomfortable and I know it's going to be bad and I won't be able to handle it too. Um, and sometimes I'm like, okay, if you got a crystal ball, you got to share it with me because I'd love to figure out what my future is going to be like, but mm-hmm. we're not going to get it in this type of thinking. Yeah, and I think this one is very, I don't know if you said it, clo- closely linked to anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love I love working with people on this one because you get it you get a you have a way of like you can really work against this by bringing up prior examples in their life where they were terrible at predicting the future and like you start so i'll do this with someone in the course of a session or two and start stockpiling like all these scenarios in the past like year or whatever where they were predicting this future event that never happened and then i'll put that lay it all out for them like in in the in the session or the following session and just say like, I think you're not maybe the best at predicting the future. Do you think it? Do you think it's helpful? You yeah. know that that you does that. What does that do for you? Like, what? How? How do you know that that's going to happen? And then they start to kind of hopefully get the idea that they're not, um, you know, good at it, and they stop doing it. But I, I think worrying is often a, like a much more complicated thing to manage. But like the process of fortune telling is often in our worries. We just don't even know it. Like, what if I get into a car accident? Mm-hmm. Or what if I have a heart attack? Or what if I have cancer? What we're almost saying is like, we think there's a good chance that it should happen, enough of a chance for me to worry about it. Yes. And we have to be like, what evidence do we have of that? You know, has your doctor said it? Have they done blood tests? You know, we can't really jump to those conclusions. Otherwise, you're just going to spend every day of your life thinking about it, and then you're going to be an anxious mess. Yes. What's another uh, thinking error you got? Uh, discounting the positive. So... Mm-hmm. Um, people with this type of distortion will say something good happens to them. Well, it was just stupid luck. Like uh, it was random. Like I didn't do anything to deserve that, but all the bad things, like they somehow affect it. Right. So anything bad that happens to them them is their fault, but anything positive they had zero influence on. It's like, and that's a tough one sometimes because, you know, um, again, I think this is an anxious type of a behavior. Um, because what you're attacking by working on this cognitive distortion is the self-esteem. And that's one area where I always find sometimes people's resistance is extremely strong when it comes to feeling insecure and having good positive self-talk. Yeah. Like they have developed, this muscle is so strong, that voice is so loud in there that they can't hear anything else. And yeah. sometimes, like when I first started doing this, I would like charge at this and sometimes clients wouldn't like that and maybe they wouldn't, come anymore because it was too like they could because you're basically saying like what you're what you're telling yourself you're lying to yourself your your major beliefs about yourself they're wrong wrong. yeah Yeah. and they can't so what does that say about themselves then so 
but this is a you know this is one that i i, I find is fun to work with but can be really difficult um, I, I find this one to be actually more common uh, not more common but i find it a lot with people who struggle with depression because like you said they struggle with self-esteem issues too yeah and they really don't like themselves or they <laughs> feel like they're a failure or and we'll say like well what about all the times that you didn't fail well no 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 those ones don't count as much right well no that one i just got lucky like you said and it's really discounting it too much we need to be able to i like to i'm doing this motion with my hands but i like to say you don't have to put other people up here and you down here and you don't have to switch it so that you're better than anyone but can we say that you're equal as other ones other people mm -hmm. like your positives and your values are just as important as other people's mm -hmm. right and i think i'd give that advice to anybody yeah you know that everybody should be seeing their strengths and weaknesses just as harshly as they see other people's strengths yeah. and weaknesses mm -hmm. i also think that the on the flip side of this though too are people who um, whether we want to use the words narcissist or narcissistic personality disorder but just having the overall appearance of being narcissistic they will do the opposite of disqualifying the positives they will overvalue their positives and just talk about how great they can be and that's also a cognitive distortion but those people are probably quite unlikely to listen to something like this they often don't come to counseling either <laughs> no narcissists don't no they don't feel like they need to um another one is overgeneralizing yes right glad you brought that up yeah seeing a pattern based upon a single event or being overly broad in the conclusions that we draw like everything everything is garbage this goes back to like what you're saying christmas is garbage christmas sucks nothing good ever happens to me right mm -hmm. i find that those kinds of people really struggle with also feeling quite down because they feel like sometimes hopeless this will never get better meaning the period of time I'm in now is never going to be better. Mm -hmm. That's where they often will lose that hope to continue on with life because it feels like, no, this is how it's going to be. The pain that I'm in right now is going to be the pain that I have for the rest of my life. And it's hard to convince someone otherwise because they are so tied into this belief that it has to be that way. Yeah, and you know, I've, as you're talking, I'm thinking of I've had people – like in some way, this could be, depending on how it's used, could actually be helpful because I've had people being, that I've worked with that were so confident in themselves that they almost overgeneralized their ability to be successful. But yeah. because of that, it allowed them to do things that normally they wouldn't be able to do. Now, I wouldn't necessarily work against someone's thought process in that case like because the benefit of of like the positive outweighs like trying to get rid of the distortion so yeah. being like overly overly um uh positive about yourself and your ability i think can be super helpful versus being over over generalizing in the negative direction is super not helpful so yeah. um so I, back to level of functioning it's like over generalizing in the positive way increases functioning over generalizing in the negative way will decrease functioning usually usually, usually. usually. And because then we don't want people to be like Sometimes I've worked with people. I can fly. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm talking no. about. No. <laughs> um, I, I worked with some people who have a really hard time making friends and being social. And then as yeah. I talk to them, it's like, oh, it's because you believe in yourself way too much. Yeah. Right? Like you've pushed people away because they think you're a jerk. They're tired of hearing about your accomplishments and how great you are. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, it can come off as arrogant. That's yeah. for sure. Um, right. But yeah, overgeneralization. Um, What's the next one you got? Um, I guess I wrote down should statements. Did we cover that in some way? We have not. Okay. So, for example, um, how things should or shouldn't, um, 
or how people should or shouldn't behave. Um, like blaming yourself about, well, this should have happened in this way because you have like thought about it in a certain way. This situation should have gone this way, but it didn't. And it's my fault. Like as though you, it's kind of similar to like predicting the future in a sense. It's linked to that where like you expect an outcome and it didn't happen. And because it didn't happen the way you expected it, it should have happened that way. And it, now you, now you feel bad. Mm-hmm. It's a negative, you know, which can increase like your stress level and in, in, increase negative feelings about yourself. Um, and it definitely reduces happiness because like if you're always worried about what should be happening or should have happened, like you're never actually present with what actually did happen. So Sure, yeah, it can get us out of the moment. Yeah. I find this most with people who struggle with anger. Also, well, they'll say things like, um, if you kind of explore the thinking, a lot of times people won't say this, but if you say like, let's say someone gets angry at their partner and they start saying like, I can't believe that they didn't call me when they got back from their friend's place. Or I can't believe they didn't tell me that they were leaving. They're supposed to let me know. They're supposed to send me a text. And I, I'll say, well, why not? Because they should be telling me when they leave. And we'll say, should, you know, like they should. And now there's, what we're really saying is, if you don't do things the way I want you to do them, then we have a problem here. My expectation is for you is up here, but you're actually only meeting it down here. And that space between where you end up behaving and where I want you to behave is where anger is. Saying you need to do what I say you should do. You should do what I should do. Another one that we hear with couples is like, he should know that I like roses and I don't like daffodils. I'll say, well, that's okay, but just know that when he makes a mistake, you're going to get very mad at him, and that's not going to help anybody here, Mm -hmm. right? There's a different way of going about it as opposed to putting too many expectations on him Mm -hmm. for this kind of thing. And I think when we use shoulds on ourselves, which, by the way, Albert Ellis, who we mentioned earlier, he, uh, he had quite the sense of humor, and he would say, don't come into my office and shit all over the place. Don't <laughs> shit on me. Don't shit on yourself. I like it. And he would say, don't shit on yourself in the sense of don't tell yourself you should be a certain way because now you're setting an expectation. That's what shoulds often do is they set an expectation that we don't meet. Yes. And we say, I should be hitting this expectation, but I'm actually hitting this one. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with trying to change or trying to make things better, but usually you have enough experience to know do I just keep hitting my head against this wall of what I quote unquote should be? And if that's the case, it's not working. It's just making right. me feel more angry at myself, yep. more down. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Did we talk about uh, emotional reasoning? We have not. Can, we, can I talk about that one? Yeah, I like okay. that one. Um, yeah, this is a good one because um, I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. Um, so attributing how you feel internally about yourself to how the world perceives you. So like, for example, if you're feeling insecure about um, like your relationship and you think that you're the reason that that's the case, it, so like you might say like, um, you feel bad about like your marriage, for example, and you think it's because of you. Well, I must be a bad husband, right? Even though maybe that's not true. Or- um, Well, it's because we feel like we're a bad husband. We Right, so like, Usually it's, I think it's associated with like guilt and shame a lot of times. So you, you, guilt and shame gets activated and we start to talk negatively to ourselves and we feel this bad emotion about like we're bad, we're a bad parent or a bad husband or something, bad wife. And uh, now we assume that that's true. 
when really we just feel that way because our guilt and shame was activated, but maybe no one perceives it like that. So. Yeah, right. And it's not, um, <clears throat> to add a little bit, it's not just when it, as it, how we see ourselves. It's um, in general assuming that because we feel a certain way, what we think must be true. So it's, it's not only for ourselves, but for the world. And actually my favorite example of this one, um, I should, let me take that back. An example I think of is if somebody were to say, I just got a bad feeling about today. Something bad is going to happen. I don't know what, but something bad is going to happen. And then as they go about their day, they may drive and then they see somebody with a blown tire at the side of the road and go, ah, that's it. I knew it. I knew it. I yeah. knew something bad was going to happen. It's like, well, you didn't know that. You felt like something bad was going to happen. And right. now you're using that to justify the world you see around you. And to go back to my point, my favorite version of this is there was a political figure named Coy Griffin, who was uh, who's currently the former member, a, f a former member of the Otero County Board of Commissioners in New Mexico, and he denied passing a vote because he thought the vote was stolen, the election was fake, mm. and he said his quote was, "It's not based on any evidence or facts, only based on my gut and my gut feeling." And that is emotional reasoning if I've ever heard it. You don't have any proof as to why this is the case, but it feels like it must be true. Therefore, it seems like it is true. And that's just not the way the world works. You know, feelings change all the time for different reasons. But that doesn't mean that's how the outside world works. Mm. It can be kind of dangerous, too. Well, in the political sense, it can be. But even in relationships, it can be dangerous, too. It feels like you don't like me. I mean, it might be true, but... It doesn't mean it is true just because you feel that way. You got you got a pensive look about you. I'm thinking about. I I just had a thought about this. Something about something about this, like the example you gave, kind of made me think about this in a different way. Where I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to feel that and try to explore further, because if you feel like you're a bad something or you have a gut feeling, because oftentimes, like when I work with people. Um, because we're, we're interpreting, right, a lot. And I do that from a place of, like, an emotion I feel about something that's going on and interpreting. Um, and that tends to lead me down the right path a lot of times. And I think for people who use this, um, you could use it effectively in a sense where you don't automatically say, yes, I'm a bad person. Hopefully, I don't know if you guys can hear that. <laughs> they have see, a lot of ambulances. Emotional today. reasoning. Something. See, something bad's happening. Yeah. There's ambulances flying by. Um, yeah. I, what am I saying? So I, I guess I'm saying it's not necessarily a bad thing unless you tie it to fact. So like because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's fact, but it could mean that you should explore this. Mm -hmm. So maybe you are doing things that aren't making you to be the best father or husband, right? Or maybe that politician did have a gut feeling that he wanted to explore, but he kind of turned it into fact. So it's, I think it's an I think you should follow your gut. I guess I always struggle with, because part of what I do with people is, is I learn, I help them learn to trust themselves. And I think emotions can be used to build internal trust and to use like as guide, guideposts, but they're not fact. Does that make sense? What yeah, I'm, there's a lot, a lot of things you said there. First thing is actually, I, we had to talk about this another day, but I don't know if I'd agree with the idea that we should teach people, that I would teach people to trust their gut. Um, at least when it comes to anxiety disorders, um, but yeah, it's. I think is. I think the idea of saying my intuition's telling me something's funky here. There's nothing wrong with that, and I think it's actually a pretty healthy and useful thing. And we just have to make sure we don't take it as a fact. 
And in fact, sometimes like actually one of the beefs I have with like a psychodynamic approach or maybe more specifically a psychoanalytic approach is they may say they'll study someone's dream mm -hmm. and then they will apply an interpretation to it. Yes. And they'll say like, well, the reason why that, ha let's say if um, someone had their, I actually once heard a person says they had their middle finger cut off and they said in a, in a work accident and they could say, well, why did that ha like um and then the psychoanalyst person said it's because it's their way of saying they can no longer say f you to the world and i said that's kind of a stretch like we don't have evidence for that that's what their gut is telling them but it doesn't mean it's necessarily true and i would say like that's um i personally don't agree with that approach either but i think as long as you label it as i wonder if it's because they don't want to say f you to the world because th that's why they lost their middle finger but it would be too far to say that is the reason why oh i see yeah, I always preface those statements to clients with maybe. Well, maybe it's because yeah. this. And then we, when we have a good working relationship, the client will either agree or push back or they might say, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. And then they might come back a week or two later and go, you know, I thought about that. Right. And you're right. Or I thought about that. And I don't think that's what it's this. You know, right. so it's important to couch it in this speculation. Right. But if you say, like, this is why I, right. am, I am laying the law down. So and now, that's what Freud would do. He'd be like, well, there's like a cylindrical thing in my dream. He's like, well, it's a penis. It's like, what? You know, Everything I, is a penis. Yeah. <laughs> Here, have some cocaine for that. Yeah. Yes. That's how he got through things. Did you have cocaine <laughs> this morning? Not yet. No. Oh. Um. All right, what's another one we have here? Uh, what do you have on your list? I don't know. I think it might be... Every, uh, what about mental filter? Do you have that one on yours? Mental, no. Okay. What's, what's that? That's, um, it's similar to some of the other ones, but it's only paying attention to certain types of evidence. That is to say we are filtering certain things to justify the way we feel about something or the way that we think about something. Oh, I see. So like a, like a distortion lens. Exactly. I yeah. See. So you may only hear certain things about this kind of goes back to some other stuff we were saying with like disqualifying the positive. It's actually quite similar. But the idea being if somebody criticizing criticizes a person who struggles with depression, they will often come to the conclusion of, well, I already felt this way about myself and this is something that I agree with. But if they say something nice about me, oh, you're just being nice. You know, I've had people say that to me even. I'll say, one thing I really appreciate about you is that you're whatever very artistic. They'll say, oh, John, you're my therapist. You have to say stuff like that. And I'll say, so if I tell you I think you're a lousy artist, they'll say, well, now you're telling the truth, right? Well, what I actually believe isn't just what you agree with. You don't get to filter out which one I say. Yeah. You have to, to say, which one do I really mean? Use my tone of voice. You know, Put me under a lie detector if you have to. Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean, it's not the truth just because it doesn't feel right to you. Yeah. I think people can feel that they put their self-esteem into what it feels like is true with what other people say. Mm -hmm. Does that jive with you? Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, it's very closely linked to the other one. We, what was it? Uh, 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 I, I think disqualifying the positives. Yeah, that, I mean, it, these are all very similar in some, they share, they overlap. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I think, yeah. Like I think I said earlier, I think they're often translations of similar ideas. Right, the mental filtering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this happens in interpersonal relationships a lot too, where we hear something like our partner says, and we assume it has a negative or positive bias based on how we feel about ourselves and them in that moment. So, and it, or even just friendships, whatever. So it's important to be aware of this one because it can distort, um, 
your view of the world. I, I find for this one, it seems like it's definitely closely linked with depression. Mm-hmm. And someone who struggles with, you know, depressive thoughts, they, they see everything as negative. You know, it's mm-hmm. just not, it, the, that lens is so thick. Like, mm-hmm. there's no possible way to see sunlight. It's just everything's darkness. That's why it can be so hard to work with people with depression to see things differently. And that's yeah. what's just so absolute. Yeah. Right. It'd be really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I got just a, a couple more on my side. One I have is labeling. Um, this one I don't see as common in terms of uh, cognitive distortions. This is just assigning labels to ourselves or other people. Like, I'm a loser, I'm useless, or they're an idiot. And it's an, it's a way that makes it seem like, well, I'm a loser, therefore this. Or I'm an idiot, therefore this. I'm a loser, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, Beck, Beck had it down. He knows. And we want to try to avoid using labels like this. Because nobody, I would say people are losers. They just do some things wrong that we tend to have been seeing recently. Hmm. Okay. Thoughts on that one? Avoiding labels? I think it's good to try not to be labeled. Like you're always trying to label me and my eating habits. (laughs) Me? Actually? or (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But... I'm always labeling you as unempathic. I am pretty unempathic, so I don't give a shit. Um, Just kidding. One that I have that I've, I'm sure exists, but I haven't heard anywhere else, is can't versus won't. Which is about that. That is when, it's one of my favorite (coughs) things to do to get people upset, but I think it actually helps, is when we, when somebody says, no, no, I can't, I, I can't go up to the, I can't drive my car, I'll be too anxious. No, no, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't, right? Oh, no, yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I can't get myself to go to the gym, you know, I, 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 I know I'd embarrass myself. No, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. I do use this confrontation a lot. Or you people don't. do not like this. No, they don't, but it's true, though. I, I, I remember I've had some people who just say, I can't get a job, I can't drive, I can't, and it's like, well, you start to say, like, it, it's not like there's a force field blocking you from doing the thing you want to do, it's just that it's really difficult, and that's okay. But what's really the, the the thing that's in the way is not your ability; it's your willingness to try, right? And it's yeah, it's hard to separate that. But once we see, it's like yeah, there's nothing actually stopping me from getting pushed into a no. car and moving it, you know, or getting a job. It might be very hard, and we may have to take time to do that. But lifting weights is hard. That doesn't mean you can't do it. It just right. means it's hard to do, and it takes time to do it. Yes. Right. Or you may say, I don't want to do it, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. You can't lift really heavy weights yet, but that doesn't mean you can't or you won't be able to eventually. Yeah, I, I like this one. I use. I feel like this one you got to earn, though. If you do this one, <laughs> you have to have a good alliance yeah. with someone, and you have to have been through some stuff with them because this is this can be... Um, and my the funniest question people ask me all the time that because this is a... He's brought up anxiety. He's like, well, when is this going to get better? I'm like, as soon as you want it to. <laughs> what? Like, as soon as you want to get, as soon as you want to drive your car, you know, you'll do, you'll do that. <laughs> yeah. What? What do you mean? That doesn't make sense. I go, sure it does. You can drive your car right now if you wanted to, but you don't want to bad enough, which is why you don't. So, and that sometimes it, it sticks with people and then they come back like with some revelation and fuck you. I drove my car. Right. Yeah. And they get mad about it or, or they go, well, this, this is not helpful. It's making me feel worse, right? Because you're confronting them too harshly. I, I don't know. Well, so. I, I think sometimes people can make the idea of a can't as a scapegoat to avoid their own choice. Yes. Like if they say, I can't drive my car, what they're saying is like, I'm stuck. It's not my fault. But if we say you won't drive your car, 
it's almost implying blame. And I definitely don't want to bring blame. I'm not in the business of trying to make people feel bad about where they are. Mm -hmm. I'm more of like, look, if we keep thinking of it as, as a can't, like, what are you coming here for? Yeah. You want me to do something that you don't think you can do ever? Right. That's impossible if you don't think it's possible for you. Mm -hmm. I can't change that. I can, what I can do is show you that you're stopping yourself. Right. Right. And getting in your own way and telling yourself it's, you can't do it versus I just don't want to do it right now. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying I don't want to do it. It just means, I think actually, sometimes when we say a won't statement, it actually implies morality. Like if we say, I can't hurt a kid, I would instead say, I won't hurt a child because I say it is wrong to hurt a child. It's not that I can't hurt them, right? And we see adults hurt children all the time. It's that I refuse to, I won't do it. I believe it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Right. And then it actually feels better to me when I put it that way to say, well, it's not like it's some arbitrary thing that says that there's some law saying I cannot hurt another person. It's what it is. I have a choice to make. And right. the choice is I think it's wrong to say mean things to people, mm -hmm. to hurt other people physically. Agreed. I've got through most of the. I think I'm good. There's, I mean, we can keep going, but I think we've covered this from a bunch of areas. Right. I think the important thing is if you have recognized that you have cognitive distortions, maybe you can use some of what we talked about to like work on those. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I think it's important to have uh, a professional to work with on this because this can be quite difficult to navigate on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe we can talk another episode about what exactly like cognitive therapists or other people do to help try to change some yeah. of these patterns. I agree. So whew, what a topic. Um, we got one more thing. Guilty leisure. We do. Are you excited about it? I'm don't know if I'm excited. Uh, what is your guilty leisure? I'm gonna phrase it this way. Happy Festivus. Oh Jesus. I love Seinfeld. And Dude. today is Festivus. Oh. And I, what is Festivus exactly? Have you not seen Seinfeld much? I mean, no. Okay. It's uh there's an episode, I won't go into it. There's an episode where one of the characters' fathers invented a holiday because he hated the commercialization of it. So he said it was on December twenty third. It is Festivus and there's a pole instead of a tree. <laughs> and there's a, a bunch of other silly things. And so today is Festivus. And actually, my wife and I had made it a thing. We start. We were starting to develop a tradition around celebrating Festivus. Do you have like a stripper pole in your house? Now? <laughs> well, that one's always there. Okay. <laughs> That's how okay. I get my workout. Nice. Yeah. That's why I hurt my wrist. Okay. Today. Now no. we know the truth of how you yeah. injured yourself. <laughs> You're doing one of those upside down things. Yeah. <laughs> the thing where you just hang on your legs but have your arms out. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, we're so I'll uh, be watching some Seinfeld later, and we okay. have food and stuff. So nice. Just a, just a fun. It's like it's like almost like a comical way to be like for us christmas has such tradition like with like a tree and seeing family that we take this thing it's this arbitrary dumb holiday but it's this way of being like let's make something special for ourselves yeah so we've been doing that that's a lot of fun i like it that's yeah. fun that's a cool thing to do we've also actually so similarly we've been watching christmas movies like i love christmas comedies so you know like mm -hmm. stupid ones uh I, we just watched four christmases last night I haven't um, seen that. Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Um, and there's a bunch of guys in that, but it's just a weird comedy. It's one of those like 90s rom com things where, like, you know, it's great, you know, hanging out with people and you don't need to really pay that much attention. Yeah. But there's moments where you kind of laugh. Yeah. Um, so th that's been fun and, you know, kind of watching that. But um, yeah. 
Is that your guilty leisure? Is some of these rom coms? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. More around the uh, guilty leisure. That's about it. Uh, What's your favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas movie of all time? Yeah. That is a tough one. I don't know. I've seen a bunch of really good ones. Um, I want to say National Lampoons because it's such such a classic. Christmas Vacation. Yeah. yeah. I just love that movie. But I haven't watched it in a while, and I've definitely seen newer ones. Like 8-Bit Christmas came out last year. That was a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned I, that one. I yeah. like that. Um, you know. I would, yeah, I would probably say National Lampoons. What about you? Home Alone, definitely. I watch it all the time. Do you watch all of them or just the first one? First one's the best. The second one's good, too. Third one I haven't even seen. But, oh, my God, the writing is so good. There's so many little jokes and so many little things. Um, my wife and I will say to each other, Mom, Dad, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. <laughs> um, just because he says things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm not afraid anymore. Yes. That, too. So. The hand, the handle, and all that. Yeah, exactly. There was an episode of something I saw where they debunked all of those those things yeah. that he did, where none of that would ever work. Like no. the door would catch on fire before right. it ever got hot enough. All yeah. kinds of. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the second one, it got so violent. Electric, oh yeah. They electrocution. Had to, and stuff. Yeah, they had their stick had to go higher. You yeah. Know, people were already desensitized. <laughs> yeah. So we have short attention span. All right. Um. Hope everyone has a good holiday yeah. season. Stay safe. This will come out after Christmas. So I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. Um, unless you're Greek Orthodox, and I think your Christmas will happen after. Oh, really? It's not the same time. Huh. It's the, the calendar month. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then uh, we'll be back in the new year, 2023. So send us questions, comments, thoughts, questions at drinksandshrinks.com. Yes, sir. That's drinks with, or it's drinks N, the letter N, shrinks.com. Yep. And as always, my name is Ingo Weigel. I'm John Deku. And we'll see you guys next time. Later, peeps. Mm-hmm.